Hey, podcast listeners, Mackenzie here. I wanted to personally thank you for listening and being a part of our community. We couldn't do this show without you. As we shape the next series of the Living Centered Podcast, I wanted to invite you specifically to help us out. We want to hear from you. We're currently in the process of curating a series all around exploring the relationships that make up our lives. Together with various experts, clinicians, and on-site alum, we'll explore the nuances, intricacies, and impact of the relationships within which we all exist. From families of origin to friendships, dating, working relationships, and beyond. We hope to host conversations with guests who bring a definitive and unique perspective. This is where you come in. We want to know your pressing relationship questions. You can submit your questions to podcast at experienceonsite.com and you might just hear an answer on our next series. And have done so much self-study with the Enneagram and formal training with that as well. And just even becoming a therapist, it's like, you know, you think you do things for certain reasons and then you hit something like cancer and just everything is like leveled. And you kind of look back and say, oh, all of that stuff, all of those practices, all of the self-care, all of the things that I learned to do so early on out of necessity that I've been practicing really my whole life have prepared me for this monumental diagnosis this life or death moment where just everything is kind of crystallized. And I just don't think it's ever an accident. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. And I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. Hey everyone, today on the Living Centered Podcast, Lindsay and I are so excited to introduce you to our friend, psychotherapist, writer, and Enneagram teacher and coach, Katie Gustafson. Y'all, Katie is a brilliant clinician, but she's also an incredible human. We talked all about the importance of practicing our mental health in all seasons of our lives and the powerful dividends that the practices and rhythms that we take part in every day can reap benefits for us in times of trial, strife, and grief. Katie understands this at a really deep level, and she shares about her recent diagnosis, journey, and recovery with breast cancer, and how the rhythms and practices that she's been teaching and leaning into for decades served her as she walked through a really difficult season. Katie's story is so beautiful, and I'm so grateful for the transparency and vulnerability she leaned into in this interview. I can't wait for you to get to know her, and if you want to learn more about some of the rhythms and practices she mentioned, you can head to Katie's website linked in the show notes to discover The Practice, her monthly subscription program that combines practical ways to use the Enneagram and mindfulness as self-care. Without further ado, meet our friend Katie. Well, we're so excited to chat with you today. Yeah, me too. I have been following you for a long time on Instagram, which is kind of funny. I've just like known about you and known the space you've been in. And we're just excited to sit down and chat both from like a professional level and what you do with your clients and yeah. all that, but also just as a person and the journey yeah. you've been on the last year. So thanks for oh, joining us. Thanks for having me. I think I would love to just start like what is marking this season of your life right now? 
What do you feel like is going on for you? Mm, that is that is such a great question. Let's sit with that. You know, I think ever since this past year going through breast cancer and uh, double mastectomy and chemo and all those yeah. things that just totally rock your world and moving into this new year on the other side of that, most of it. I think what marks my world right now is just this idea of, I mean, and this sounds maybe a little trite, but this idea of newness, like, mm, yeah. And this idea that, you know, Glennon Doyle talks about how we can do hard things and mm -hmm. I totally am on board with that. And, and I think we can do those hard things with an army of people around us, you know, supporting and praying and helping to guide that, that journey. And what I've found is that I've, I've gotten to know parts of myself through this process that I've never known before. Hmm. And I've, discovered desires that I've had through that diagnosis and recovery that I'd never even had thought about, you know, like being more of an advocate for women's health, hmm. really streamlining my focus and my practice to working with women. Mm -hmm. And two, just this beautiful mind body spirit connection mm -hmm. that I think I've known in, in theory for mm -hmm. a long, long time, but I really know it now. I feel like I've had to live that now. And so I think self-care has become such a necessity and something that I've really wanted to kind of rebrand for women as self-compassion Mm, because that's a good distinction. yeah, I just I feel I feel like self care can be a little bloated in our culture, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, feel trivial. Or yeah, and I think there's a time and place for pampering and all of that stuff, and I am totally here for that. And and yet, self care just feels like a different path. It really mm. just feels like a daily kind of self-befriending mm. and connection, this internal kind of conscious connection with ourselves and and learning about our needs mm. on a daily basis, our desires, you know, creating a life that we don't want to escape. Mm. And yeah. so, yeah, I mean, that's really a squirrely answer to I your like question, it. but I think... You know, I think just I've been so focused on kind of getting my health back after chemo mm -hmm. in the new year. And along with that is just this ongoing like discovery of just a lot of new things that I'm excited about and things that I want to do in life and relationships that feel more, more poignant now than they ever did. You touched on something that I just... Had, had thought about some, but sort of the way you framed it was so helpful that it's like 
your whole life and the way that you have pursued studies around the Enneagram Mm -hmm. and mental health and things kind of prepared you in some ways for the adversity of the cancer diagnosis. Yeah. And I'd love to like hear Mm -hmm. more. I know you with um, one of the things that you have launched called the practice. Mm -hmm. And it's something that we talk about a lot at Onsite is like this idea that, you know, emotional and mental health to really do it well, you do it preventatively. Totally. <laughs> and not like, oh my goodness. When, when you're in the middle of crisis. Yes. Um, I have a close friend that has gone through a divorce and pr- a couple years prior to that, she had already started therapy and our therapist was like, this has made the divorce so much mm. easier for you yeah. to digest yeah. and understand. And mm-hmm. it's like, Shit's going to hit the fan at some point. You know, adversity is going to strike. So how do we foster that resiliency in ourselves so that it's there when we need it? So all that to say, I'd love to hear you speak more to what that process was like when you found out about the diagnosis and then how those tools that you'd already adopted and adapted into your life, how they were a gift to you. Yes, Oh, I'm so tracking with you. And Onsite has been a huge part of my <laughs> preparation, really, in my mind. I went through Living living Centered. It's probably been, gosh, 15 years ago. Wow. Oh, wow. And did some trainings mm-hmm. with Mary B for, um, for therapists, which was so, such a beautiful, beautiful, illuminating week. But yes, I do feel that for whatever reason, you know, I started struggling with depression at such a young age um, Mm. and, you know, was in therapy like in high school before anybody knew what therapy was really. I mean, from like Mobile, very Southern town in Alabama and nobody talked about therapy, nobody, you know. That was just neither here nor there. And so it was it was a different scene. And yet I've always, beca- it's been necessity for me. Mm. I started, you know, exercising at a really young age. I started journaling when I was about 10. I started meditating in my early 30s. And it's it's so it's so beautiful to me because I think, I really do believe that whatever you believe about God, but God mm-hmm. really did prepare me yeah, and have done so much self-study with the Enneagram and formal training with that as well. And just even becoming a therapist, it's like, you know, you think you do things for certain reasons and then you hit something like cancer mm-hmm. and just everything is like leveled. Yeah. Yeah. And you kind of look back and say, oh, all of that stuff, all of all of those practices, all of the self-care, all of the things that I learned to do so early on out of necessity that I've been practicing really my whole life have prepared me for this monumental diagnosis, mm-hmm. this life or death moment where just everything is kind of crystallized. And I just don't think it's ever an accident. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll always be so grateful that I went through 
all of the the therapy and on-site and working so closely with the Enneagram. And then, you know, I'll always be so grateful for those things. Now I just look back at them in a different way than I ever have before. perspective. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, you know, that's where I am. And then, and then bringing the Enneagram into it, you know, there was a lot of grief Mm -hmm. that took place in the last year for me, kind of losing the body of my youth, kind of Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. parts of myself that felt inherently feminine and experiencing that loss. Yeah. Uh, And I, I really do believe that we grieve in character and the Enneagram has helped me as a person to understand my character structure in such mm. a clear way yeah. that I can really work with myself as opposed to working against myself. And so what are some of the ways that you did that as an Enne- you're an Enneagram 4, right? Yes. Yeah, so I am a dominant 4. And I mean, there was a lot of alone time that I needed. There was a lot of tears. I mean, I always kid around that kind of my emotions have emotions. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, there's just the whole gamut of emotions in yeah. any given day or hour. And so there was a lot of big emotions. Mm-hmm. I will also say that uh, I had started on an antidepressant mm-hmm. about nine months postpartum due to some just really tidal proportions of anxiety that I yeah. was experiencing. Uh, and that was five months before I got diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm-hmm. So I, I have to think that they were connected, that that kind of anxiety that was really hormonal was very much connected to this, you know, impending mm-hmm. diagnosis. So again, I am all for getting the help wherever you can. Yeah. A huge proponent for medication when that is necessary. And it's been it was such a godsend for me and mm. because it helped me kind of temper that grief. Yeah. Uh, it's just so many of these little pieces that puzzle pieces just kind of all came together as a support for for the the year that I had last year, which uh, I do believe that that was a big support mm-hmm. in terms of how I moved through the grief. And then, of course, therapy. Mm-hmm. I will always be in my own therapy with my therapist. And I just find so much value in that relationship. It's been such a, a mainstay for me for decades. So... Those are a few of the ways that I kind of moved through that grief. You mentioned the grief of some of the aspects of your femininity, of youth and youthfulness. Mm. We've talked on the podcast to several people that have done work around identity issues Mm -hmm. and body issues with women. Yes. Um, But, I mean, talk about a lived perspective (laughs) that you really have been living that. And I'd love to know what you kind of have learned about yourself and how you see things differently as you've grieved the loss of your hair at one point. I mean, it's so funny. I, I literally 
was not expecting it. I think, I, I think, you know, in the beginning, I was just really trying to have a great attitude and be strong, you know, for my family. And <laughs> I would joke around, you know, well, at least I'm going to get a boob job paid for by insurance. <laughs> you know, it was, I kind of was cocky yeah. going into it and playing it down. And then hmm. <laughs> that surgery kicked my tail. I mean, the double mastectomy. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just did not expect how tough that recovery would be emotionally and physically. And there were complications with the healing after that surgery. I felt so like without identity. I felt so lost in my body. It was all, it was getting to know this foreign body. And then I didn't even think about like eyebrows and eyelashes and all the things that kind of make us feel like women Mm-hmm. You know, we're so identified by our hair. Yeah. And I'd, you know, I'd always kind of unconsciously identified myself, you know, with having long hair. And it, it's just been a tremendous loss yeah. and really humbling. And there's been a real, you know, deepening of my own spirituality, I think, in that place of of loss and mm-hmm lost identity and just really being in a desperate place of having to lean on something greater than me and, you know, really having to find identity in something much bigger and much better. You know, the Enneagram talks a lot about, you know, every type has a passion or an emotional kind of pattern and a virtue. Mm -hmm. And for the four the virtue is equanimity. And it's this kind of constant invitation to move into this higher place, this higher self, Um, this virtue um, of equanimity, which that word for me has been really important Mm. as as I've lost this kind of feminine sense of myself. Physically, I've had to really practice this equanimity and just opening up to this sense sense of emotional balance yeah, and catching myself in the act when I would get really upset or discouraged or um, just really sad, mm-hmm. you know, of reminding myself, oh yeah, that's, that's that pattern. That's that four pattern that I get into that, you know, that kind of envy and like comparing myself with other people, other women, mm. you know, and, Reminding myself that even in this place of transition, you know, there is the invitation to this this emotional balance that has become really important to me. And finding femininity in new ways, you know, like it's so freeing. I When I lost my hair, I was terrified at the beginning of mm. losing my hair. And then all of a sudden I got into it and I... I just, I couldn't even really believe how freeing it was. Yeah. Yeah. It was just so telling of the lies that we tell ourselves as women and how mm. so often we we tie our femininity to our bodies yeah. and we develop all kinds of weird body image issues around that and eating disorders and all the things. 
But then like getting to that place where you look in the mirror and you really don't even recognize yourself, Mm -hmm. but you see such a new sense of beauty that really, I mean, and this sounds so cheesy, but really does have to come from within. Yeah. And, you know, and that was just a really important passageway for me Mm. in this last year. I, you, I have so many thoughts yeah. listening to you speak. One of which is I think so often it's so easy to mistakenly frame our physical identity issues around like other people's perceptions yeah. and culture and things. Mm. But like listening to you talk, I'm like, it really is such a self issue. So, you internal. know, and that as we can redefine that sense of beauty. Yeah. Within ourselves that that emanates oh. so boldly. Yes. And I think I've always known that, but it's like, yeah, it's just as helpful. It's like, oh, yeah, like even, you know, like if I'm struggling with issues around my weight, that that's not out there. It's in here. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Ooh, that's good. It's almost like, I think for me, it's like seeing myself through the eyes of someone else, but it's still like, it's not through their eyes, it's through my eyes seeing through their eyes. Yeah. Um, and how it's so external, but really, like you are saying, it's more an internal. Absolutely. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, that inner critic mm. that we have as women is so loud. And it's been a gift, really mm. the gift of this cancer diagnosis and recovery. I feel like my, my heart, it's kind of the same, like we've been talking about kids and mm-hmm becoming moms. And it's that same thing where you just feel like your heart grows a chamber that mm. wasn't there before. Mm-hmm. That's what, that's what having, I mean, I see women so differently now. Mm. It's like, I just, I have, it's like a, it's reset my vision. You know, I just, I don't know. It's, it's really recalibrated the way I see or, or view beauty, mm. the way I um, respect women and the way we define what it is to be feminine. Yep. Yeah. And how that, you know, I think I like your word emanate. I really do believe that. <laughs> I read that Green Lights, Matthew McConaughey's. Yeah. Um, that was a wild book. It was wild. But I love this phrase. It stuck with me. Um, <laughs> this is such a weird caveat, I realize. Mm-hmm. But that he talks about being less impressed and more engaged. Mm. And I feel that like on a cellular level right now. Yeah. yeah. In my life right now with people, with this present moment, yeah. how, how much I want to be more engaged in the moment with people and less impressed with myself, less impressed with people, you know, just let's just boil it all down to what really matters. What a gift to get that clarity. Uh, I think it is a gift. I really do. (laughs) Not not to overly reframe, but the clarity is a gift. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You've talked a lot about um, self-care, and I loved how you set it up at the beginning of self-care being this like reacquainting and familiarizing ourselves every day, like self-love and even just coming alongside that. And you also said you've discovered parts of yourself in this journey. Like what are some of the ways – that's like you wouldn't necessarily title them as self-care, but it's been so much self-compassion. That's what I keep hearing from you yeah. through this journey. 
um, that like, oh, this was actually a way that I cared for myself. Yeah. And we wouldn't call that self-care, but you are kind of saying it that way. I mean, I love that question because I think for me, the way I have held myself, Mm. it has nothing to do with spending money or like going to hot yoga or things, but just learning to sit with myself in the space Mm. and be with myself in a loving way for me has been such a salve of self-care and Mm self-compassion that I did not know before because you're just limited in what you can do, Mm. especially going through chemo, like there's just a lot of fatigue. Yeah. The recover, I mean, recovering from surgery, there's a lot of limitations. And I've mm-hmm. always been pretty healthy and very active. Hey, friends, if you have been a listener of the podcast long, you have heard about our on site in person experiences, especially our group programs. So we currently offer three group programs our flagship program, the Living Center program, which is the name of this podcast the Healing Trauma Program, and our Healthy Love and Relationships Program. Yeah. And if you're anything like me, I think before, I've now done a program myself, but before that, Mm -hmm. I was like, which one is right for me? I feel like I can see parts of myself in all of those names. And so it's a little overwhelming to say which program would kind of benefit my story and my healing journey wherever I am. Um, And so we wanted to come alongside you and kind of offer some guidance into deciding which program is right for you if you're ready to take that next step into a workshop experience at Onsite. Um, And don't worry, it isn't just you're not on your own to make this decision. Our clinical team is really amazing at coming alongside you and asking the right questions to make sure you Mm -hmm. get the right fit for where you need to be. But we wanted to empower you to kind of take that first step to ask yourself before you connect with someone on our team, which program is right for me where I am. As Mackenzie just said, we offer workshops at both of our campuses in Tennessee and in California. And those workshops are the Living Center Program, Healing Trauma, and Healthy Love and Relationships. So we recently put together a blog post on our website and you can check it out at Onsite Workshop com backslash right program for me. And it will walk you through kind of our three foundational workshop programs. In it, you'll see testimonials from real alumni who have done the programs. You'll see a video that kind of en- encapsulates the essence of each program. And then you'll see some FAQs that might help you put yourself into the situation and really imagine which program might be right for you. I love this blog post. I feel like it's such a good resource, and we wanted to make sure that you, our podcast listeners, know all about it. So if you have ever wondered is it time for me to do a program and which program? Uh, We've created this resource just for you. Check it out. I imagine like as someone who's fairly active or I think even just myself, I have a hard time being still. And so you started, I think this is another example of kind of the preparation that you didn't even know you needed. You said you started meditating Mm -hmm. and like practicing mindfulness years before. Oh yeah. Yes. And that's, That's been such a huge, I I started actually doing that as I got deeper and deeper into the Enneagram because mindfulness is such a powerful way developing a meditation practice or mindfulness practice is is such an amazing way to observe Mm -hmm. our patterns of thought, emotion. Mm. Uh, It's a really powerful way to, to use the Enneagram in practical ways. It's you know, it's like, to me, it's like the gold standard of, of how you learn to self-observe uh, and really relate to yourself. Um, so what does that practically look like for you? What is your med- 
meditation slash mindfulness practice now look like? So now, uh, you know, I started out using like apps, you know, mm-hmm. Calm, Headspace. I really liked Headspace for a while. And, and then I got into Tara Brock. Do you guys know her? Oh, oh, tell us. Oh, ladies. She is this just sage, like stunning woman, probably in her 60s, I would say, maybe late 50s. She has all of these guided meditations and they're just yummy. I mean, mm. just so powerful. Yeah. And uh, so she's been a, a teacher of mine uh, indirectly mm-hmm. <laughs> from a distance. And really the last, you know, the last several years I've, I've kind of been doing my own kind of just guided meditations, a mm-hmm. lot of, a lot of just breath work and mm-hmm. a lot of body scans. And it's a part of the practice, uh, this subscription that I offer part of that is guided meditations that I record from week to week. And so they kind of theme up with different concepts in the Enneagram and self-care constructs for each type. So I've just been kind of a little bit uh, all over the map when it comes to meditation. Yeah. Sometimes if I don't have much time, I'll I'll do just like a five-minute kind of headspace meditation. And then sometimes if I have like 20 or 30 minutes, I'll kind of just make up my own yeah, and just sit and be present with yourself, be present with myself. And, uh, that's, but to your point, I used to not be able to sit with myself at all. Mm -hmm. There was just a lot of anxiety, a lot of, Mm -hmm. a lot of fear. I mean, I just didn't know how to do that. And there was such a kind of toxicity with myself and my relationship with myself for so Mm. long. And so I think just the self-compassion piece and, and mindfulness has been a real bridge to building a more loving relationship with myself. Yeah. I think something that I've experienced when we hear this from people at Onsite, like when we remove the medicators or we remove the things mm-hmm. that you use externally to turn down internal noise and get mm-hmm. along with yourself, it's it's really scary. It is scary. And it can be really intimidating, like what's on the other side of that? or. Yeah. Who is that? Um, And so it's an uncomfortable space. And I love the idea of just slowly peeking your feet in um, and leaning into self-compassion with mindfulness because I think mindfulness can feel really intimidating if we're not bringing along some compassion and grace for ourselves, which is what I've heard again and again, even the way that you talked about the Enneagram or the way that the Enneagram has given you a lens and a perspective as to how you walked through this. Mm-hmm. I think it's just been so much compassion and so much grace to say, okay, this is how I'm wired and yeah. this is what's happening. Yes. Um, and given you the permission to just accept for yourself for who you are. Oh, yeah. I think that's so beautiful. Oh, it's but. it's major. And I think it's what it's what I've done, you know, it's the journey I've been on for so long. Is that when you started therapy? And I'd love to go back there and hear a little bit about that, if you would be willing, of growing up in the Deep South. (laughs) Like, going in the Deep South and the stigma around therapy, like, there must have, you were saying it was desperation, but I wonder... What was that like with your relationship with your parents and getting oh, into therapy? Yeah. yeah. And what is, yeah. adding on to Mackenzie's question, like what did depression look or sound like in yeah. a 12-year-old? I think so many kids are struggling with it now. 
but parents still miss it. Mm, that's mm-hmm. a good question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, oh my goodness. Can you imagine having social media? No. No, I thank the Lord every day that TikTok <laughs> didn't exist when I was young. It was hard enough. I can't imagine. I just, yeah, it's a whole different world. And parents do miss it. Yeah. And two, there's a state, it's, it's the deep south, but it's also the church, I think, yeah. that I grew up in. You know, therapy and, and that was a little bit of a sign of weakness yeah. and kind of far out, you know, it was mm-hmm. pretty far out. My depression first, it showed up in my life as an eating disorder okay, and a pretty severe one. I had anorexia in high school and, you know, I think my parents had no idea what to do with that. That's kind of how the depression first materialized in my life. Uh, and they got desperate. That and feels so like a tangible thing. It like, was yeah. tangible. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and my dad was in music and, and ministry and, you know, mm. so it was, I think they were just like, okay, we'll do whatever we can because you're really suffering. And yeah. so it was out of, a little out of their comfort zone, I'm pretty sure. And but I, I've got to tell you, going to therapy so early on and meeting this woman, it's so funny. My first therapist's name was Angie, and she was from Nashville. Hmm. And she was practicing in, uh, in Alabama where we lived. And she was a singer. You know, she had kind of been an artist and now was practicing therapy. And I just thought she was the coolest. And <laughs> she... And she had experienced an eating disorder as well. So she, I felt seen by her. Yeah. And I felt really known and supported by her. That relationship absolutely changed the trajectory of my life. And then she really encouraged my parents to put me on some medication hmm. that would help me with these kind of incessant thoughts that I was having about myself and my yeah. body and food and I mean, I got to say, like two weeks after I started that medication, I felt like a totally different person. I mean, it's like my brain flipped upside down. (laughs) And it was wild. So I I guess I believed from such an early age in the process because I'd seen such a drastic, immediate um, benefit in in my life. And that, you know, after recovering from that eating disorder, I, I... the depression was still there. Yeah. And, you know, it was it was this sense of just feeling so misunderstood in life, so different, so deficient. It's the mm. it's the narrative of the of the four, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um and I didn't know about the Enneagram in high school in my early twenties and just moving through life and and feeling this constant melancholy and just this sense of defectiveness. Like I don't, like I didn't get the memo, you know, everyone else got the memo. I didn't get the memo. Like what's wrong with me? And when I found, when I found the Enneagram and I read the type four chapter and I just wept, Hmm. I wept because all of a sudden I said, well, A, there's a reason. Yeah. There's a reason that I am the way I am. I'm not crazy. Mm -hmm. And there's other people that feel 
just as deficient as I do. Mm-hmm. There, there. I have a tribe. There's actually other people that speak this language and live in these narratives. Yeah, and there was a plan. There was like this whole system that I just became transfixed by and in love with. And I think, and I learned about the Enneagram before I went to school to become a therapist. So Mm -hmm. I always had that overlay and that lens to look through. So I, you know, just attribute so much of my kind of self discovery and healing to therapy and to the Enneagram Mm -hmm. and to, you know, places like onsite and yeah yeah i think the enneagram is interesting in that it really does give you language and an understanding of yourself and i think there's a lot of self-compassion that comes with it but from my experience it is also it brings you a prod for growth too mm-hmm. like there's not a complacency of like well this is just the way that i am mm-hmm. and also there's room for growth and understanding of myself and kind of the higher self that you were talking about mm-hmm. earlier yeah I think that has been interesting. How do you see um, the Enneagram and therapy work together and kind of partner? And how do you do that in your practice? I think it's Soren Kierkegaard that says the most common form of despair is not being who you are. Mm. And I really think that I've known that despair. Yeah. And I've worked with countless people who know that despair. Is there anybody that doesn't know that despair to some degree? Well, I think there's people who are contentedly unconscious. (laughs) Yeah, that's That's a good good. way to say it. I think there's those people, they, you know, it's, there's just, there's some safety and comfort in that unconscious, you know, way of life. It's like, they don't know what they don't know. Yeah. And that's fine. And that's fine with them. So- yeah, I've had friends who say that about therapy. Like, I don't want to go to therapy because I don't want to know. Like, if there is that yeah. hiding behind the background, I don't want to know. Right. I'm like, totally. Me, I'm like, why would you not want to know? Like, tell me everything. I know. But I'm so it's just a different you. personality. What's your Enneagram type? I think I'm a seven. Seven. Yeah. I mean, and just knowing that that is your language. Yeah. I think it helps. So I... I feel that the Enneagram is the best tool that we have. Mm. It's I call it a psycho-spiritual tool that we can use as a companion yeah. for deeper self-awareness, healing, and growth. And I really do think it gives us language where we didn't have any. Mm-hmm. It It does point us in the direction of an identity that we've clung to Mm. that causes suffering, right? Because it's all about living out of our personality story, our ego story, our false self. Mm -hmm. And I think most of the people that I work with are dealing with some type of lie Mm. that they're telling themselves about who they are and who the world is around them what the world is around them. So the Enneagram helps us to not only understand who we are in a much more high definition way mm-hmm. and name some of the demons that we've been struggling with for a long time. Yeah. But like you said so beautifully, it gives us resources 
an agency to unlearn the limiting parts of our behaviors and our, our emotional patterns, our thought patterns, yeah, and write something different, something true, something better mm. for ourselves. And so there's a deconstruction that happens in therapy when using the Enneagram. And there is a lot of inquiry, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of inquiry, a lot of holding up these old beliefs to the light and asking ourselves, is that true? Kind of like Byron Katie talks about in the work in her book, Loving What Is, but she talks so much about this compassionate inquiry where we don't just believe everything we've always believed because that's the way it's supposed to be. Mm, so these yeah. things about ourselves that we think and believe and feel, just because we feel them doesn't mean that they're true. Yeah. And so bringing some inquiry into that process and learning what the truth really is. Like, what is true about us? Mm-hmm. Who does God say I am? Yeah. You know, who, who do I say I am? You know, because you're right. I think we do often name ourselves and see ourselves through the world's eye and the world's expectation. I I love what you're speaking about in terms of the depth of the Enneagram and the power of it. And I I feel like so many of the dissenters of the Enneagram are the people that, like, don't want to be boxed in Mm -hmm. by an archetype or a number. Um, and they feel like it's limiting and yeah. that there's not room for like the fullness of who they are. Yeah. What would you say to those people that are skeptical of it as a tool because it is sort of a typing system? Yeah. Reductive to use your word yeah. earlier. Uh, well, I get that. <laughs> I totally get that. You know, and look, I, I love the Enneagram. I love talking about the Enneagram, mm-hmm. but I also see why people can be turned off by it. I see how it can be off-putting for people. I really do. Because at the end of the day, you're you. Mm -hmm. You're so much more than a number. Uh, You're so much more than a personality type. To say that there's only nine types of people in the world Mm -hmm. is pretty bold. Yeah. And listen, I, I understand why people, you know, have pause with that and are a little skeptical. However, I I do think that within type, you know, it's like saying there's only one, there's only one white paint color. <laughs> I guarantee you, Lindsay, that this room, yeah. you had to go through hundreds of white paint colors to get the best color that would show in the, in the light of the room just the way you wanted it to, you know? Yeah. And I, I think that is true with our type. I think, you know, sure, there's nine types. And then there's all kinds of flavors within that type. Yeah. And I use subtypes a mm. whole lot when I work with clients. And subtypes are, you know, there's three subtypes within each of the nine types, which really means that there's actually 27 different types. Yeah. Which gives an even more high-definition picture of who we are And, you know, my encouragement to those people, you know, use what is helpful. Yeah. Use what is helpful. Don't judge it. You know, don't, don't knock it before you really know it. 
you know, and the deeper I've gotten in the Enneagram, it's like the the less I really know because it's (laughs) so dynamic. It's so nuanced. It's, it's so powerful. And so I really do encourage people who are skeptical. I get it. That is totally fine. Give it a chance though, you know? Yeah. Uh, And take, take the parts that are helpful. Mm. You know, if something resonates with you in a certain type or two types, take those with you, live into that a little bit, because really it's, it's a tool for people to use in their own lives to, to bring greater freedom, greater fulfillment. So do your homework, learn more about it. Yeah. Uh, really try it on for size and take, take what you want to take from it. If it's not your thing, it's not your thing. Yeah. It's when you were talking, it reminds me of kind of the group process at onsite mm, yeah. and that there's this practice that we do within the groups of sort of listening and identifying at the end of the the process, like what you observed and like what you learned about yourself from observing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think the tr- same is true of like listening to people as they process their experience as a certain number. Yeah. Like even mm-hmm. you as a four processing your number throughout those conversations, I also identify as a four. Mm-hmm. can't remember if we have the same yeah. subtypes. But I was I sitting here yeah, thinking we're even self- how different the two the of you are. The expression looks so different, yeah. but there's mm-hmm. so many things that I'm like, oh, I feel that too. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, excited to yeah. like tie back with you personally on several things that just overlap in our stories. Like when you talked about the yeah. um, equanimity. Yes. And I, I've always like had such a appreciation for the word soul, you yeah. know, and like had like a really tangible response when people talk about the soul. And yeah. I think it's that equanimity piece of me yeah. as a four yes. that over, like can very easily attach to that yeah. and feel the possibility of yes. that that is probably different than how you feel mm-hmm. uh, as a seven, Mackenzie. Yeah. But not that it's all, it's not all the same, but it's Mm-mm. just layers of like, oh yeah, I feel that too. And what can I learn about myself from right. listening to you talk? Or when mm-hmm. I listen to Mackenzie talk about her experience as a seven, it's like, what can I learn about the way other people see the world in a way that's different yeah, from me? Absolutely. I think when we talked about the Enneagram with um, Evan Barbie, so many of us think and operate into our lives until we have some kind of catalyst that like the way I see the world is the way the world is. Mm-hmm. And the Enneagram really does offer you nine different ways to see the world, mm-hmm. nine different lenses at which the people that you interact with yes. see the world differently. And like you were saying, we all have different lies that we believe. And when you were saying that, I thought like, I wonder if every number has the same lies. And I think mm-hmm. they're similar, but it, it's the way that we talk about grief too. We say it's a universal experience that's highly individual. Yeah. Where like, I think being a nine is a, very universal experience that is also very yeah, individual or right. being a four or being a three. And so mm-hmm. that's what I've just been thinking in this conversation. Even some of the things that you're saying, I'm like, I wonder how much of this resonates with Lindsay yeah. and also what is her unique individual expression of yeah. that? Yeah. And for, to me, it's, it's a way of loving people. Yeah, that's good. It's a way of loving people. I think it's Thich Nhat Hanh mm. has a quote that says, I'm going to butcher it. It's something about if you want to love, you have to start with understanding. To Mm. love is to understand. Literally to come under someone, to understand, to stand under. I mean, it's, it's literally, it's love is a humbling act, right? Yeah. And 
how we love the the best is by knowing, mm. by understanding, by listening to understand, learning to understand yeah. how you are in your seven type mm-hmm. nature and how you are in your four type nature and how I am. I mean, it's an experience. It's to me the most beautiful expression of love, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why I think when we weaponize the Enneagram and when we become dogmatic in the Enneagram, I think we are really kind of just completely missing the point. Yes. Because mm-hmm. the Enneagram is all about developing more compassion for ourselves and other people. Mm. Yeah. The Enneagram, I mean, we talked about this in the last episode, but it's just become this like almost a memification of it of like, oh, yep, this is how I can box you in and move on mm-hmm. without ever taking the opportunity to be like, and what does that experience fully embody for mm-hmm. you? We just say, you know, if I was, as an example in my own life, if I just said to my husband, you're just picking a fight because you're an eight. No, for me to get below <laughs> that and say, hey, I feel that you're creating tension. Where do you feel like there's intimacy missing with us? Yeah. How are you not feeling connected to me? Because I... I feel like I'm on the defense and I know that sometimes that's a bid for intimacy with you. Yeah. So what's going on? Right. You know, I think if we just move beyond totally. that, I think it's an, it's a really disservice to a very deep thing. So that's good. That's what are you so smiling good. at? So just good. laughing about all the eights in my life. I know. But think about <laughs> it. When they get feisty, they're just asking for some intimacy and connection. I know. We often ask what's a practice that's keeping you centered. And I feel like you've told us a lot about different practices that keep you centered. So would you tell us a little bit about what the practice is? Yes. Good way to wrap. Thank you for asking. Uh, Sure. It's something I love talking about these days. Yeah. The practice is an online uh, subscription, monthly subscription service that I offer. And it includes several components. There are daily journal prompts, weekly meditations, monthly. There's two new, well, there's so many yoga flows. I have Hmm. uh, Megan, this just magical yoga instructor, leads us through some yoga flows every month. And basically it's it's a toolkit. It's a therapeutic Hmm. toolkit that's based in uh, the wisdom of the Enneagram so that people can join the practice and develop a self-care plan that is specific to their Enneagram type. That's very cool. So it has all kinds. It's a, it's a, it's a catalog of self-care resources based in Enneagram teaching. So, you know, if when you join the practice, you have, you know, your own dashboard that you go to. And the hope is designed to be used for 30 minutes every day. Mm -hmm. You know, I I believe that, you know, by actively and consistently, it's it's what on-site teaches so well. It's those tiny two-degree shifts in life that when we practice them over time consistently reap incredibly huge rewards. And so it's a daily practice that's kind of delivered to you every day, each week, the, the program is constantly evolving, and there is a little uh, Enneagram teaching that I do from week to week. And so the meditation is is kind of based on that Enneagram teaching, and the journal prompts are 
really kind of thoughtful ways to unpack, you know, what we're learning about the Enneagram and your self-care specifically. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's just a sweet community. And I'm not surprised. It's, It's become a little bit of it's become kind of geared towards women, which mm-hmm. is fine with me. But it's just the sweetest community. And we have a monthly kind of um, Zoom live kind of call. Mm-hmm. And we we encourage each other and troubleshoot and talk about just what you need in your self-care and just people holding each other accountable to their mm-hmm. own self-care and self-compassion. And it's been one of my favorite things about, you know, COVID. I started it in 2020 before, you know, before the shutdown, before our world turned upside down. Another thing that was prepared that you didn't know you would need. It was so so many people would need. It was it was just so wild. So, anyways, it's been just really fun and I love it. Uh yeah. So it's just a great way to learn more about the Enneagram. It's a great way to kind of take the guesswork out of your self-care. Yeah. Uh, by just, you know, like you said, dipping a toe in, whatever you can commit. You know, if it's 10 minutes, awesome. If it's an hour, awesome. But it's I wanted to create resources for people because that's what I kept hearing people say in therapy. It's like, I want tools. I want yeah. tools. I want accountability. You know, so I'm I'm thinking we got to create that somehow. Yeah. We got to create some type of system to where people can just go. They can log on. They can, you know, download the week's content. They can use it as and when, mm-hmm. you know, they can get some yoga in. They can move their bodies. I'm really excited this spring because I'm about to launch a new division of the practice, which is all walking meditations. Very cool. So I'm kind of recording some really cool um, instrumental tracks and putting some guided vocals on on those cool. um, for people because I like like you I'm not a seven but I yeah sometimes I just like meditation for me is is movement in the woods you know yeah. on a hike at Radnor you know yeah. like so so having something to kind of guide me through this mindful movement yeah is what I crave. So I just assume that everybody else does. <laughs> no, I just think it would be really fun to have. For sure. So yeah, that's excited the practice. That. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm very yeah. excited about that. Thanks. Where can Thanks people find sure. it? You can go to my website, katiegustafson.co. And right when you get to my website, there's a banner and it says, join the practice. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for being with us, Katie. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's been such a treat. Love you, ladies. Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.